the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pilgrims, the Puritans, the founding fathers and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we could not know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Yes, indeed. Here we are, thanking you for coming along with us as we make our way through the great book of books. Tonight, we will continue through the books of First and Second Chronicles, reading them together as one book as they were originally written by Ezra the scribe. We are almost finished, almost through the book of Second Chronicles. Tonight, chapters 31 through 33, and then chapters 34 through 36. And then in our next program, we'll be headed back to the New Testament. That's what we do. We read Old and New Testaments of the Bible, but we alternate back and forth between them. We have read in the Old Testament all the way up through First and Second Chronicles. And when we finish up the book of Second Chronicles, we'll be returning to the New Testament, picking up there with the book of Romans, which is always a great time in the Scripture. All the books of the Bible are exceptional and remarkable in their own way. Romans is one of those that if you want to get a clear understanding, an updated, upgraded theology up to the New Testament times, then Romans is the book to listen to. That's where we get our doctrine and theology. It's out of the books of theology, out of Romans and the epistles. Out of the books of history, we find out what happened. In the books of the epistles, it is explained to us the significance and the intent of what happened. It's clarified for us so that we understand it in terms of principles that we can apply to our life. Right now, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment, starting with Psalm 89. Psalm 89, 1-18. through 18. I will sing of the tender mercies of the Lord forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a solemn agreement with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All heaven will praise your miracles, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? 
What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than those who surround His throne. O Lord God Almighty, where is there anyone as mighty as You, Lord? Faithfulness is Your very character. You are the one who rules the oceans. When their waves rise in fearful storms, You subdue them. You are the one who crushed the great sea monster. You scattered Your enemies with Your mighty arm. The heavens are Yours, and the earth is Yours. Everything in the world is Yours. You created it all. You created north and south. Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon praise Your name. Powerful is Your arm. Strong is Your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Your throne is founded on two strong pillars, righteousness and justice. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. Our power is based on your favor. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord, and He, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our King. End of reading, Psalm 89, 1-18. What a joyful, exciting, enthusiastic hymn of praise to the Lord. Psalm 89, the first half. It's God's promise to preserve David's descendants. Of course, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah, who will reign for eternity. And, of course, that love and kindness promised to David is ours in the Messiah. Ezra is trying to remind them now in his book here, the the books of the Chronicles. There are three sets of books, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, they are books of history. They tell what happened after the time of the judges, as you move to the time of the kings under Saul, then David, and then Solomon, and then on into the time of the divided kingdom under Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and in the 22 kings of the north, the 22 kings of the south, and the periods of time until 722 B.C., when the kingdoms of the north are destroyed by Assyria, taken into exile, and in 586 B.C., in the third of three invasions, Nebuchadnezzar destroys the temple in Jerusalem and takes a third group of people into exile over into Babylon, that famous 70 years of exile, from which at least they are restored. Many come back, about 40 to 42,000 come back from Babylon after the 70-year period ending in 1515. That's usually when that time is spoken of as having been completed because that is when the temple is rebuilt. Ezra here is reviewing the history of the kings of Judah, the kings of the southern tribes. Judah is established as the tribe through which God will bring the Messiah. We're going to go now to Second Chronicles. We're going to pick up in chapter 31. We have finished the rule now of the great king Hezekiah. We will see now about his great spiritual reforms that he brought about because of his faith in God and then see Assyria invading Judah from the north. All of that on the Bible life. Second Chronicles 31, 1 through 33, 25. Second Chronicles 31. Now when the festival ended, the Israelites who attended went to all the towns of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and they smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, and removed the pagan shrines and altars. After this, the Israelites returned to their own towns and homes. 
Hezekiah then organized the priests and Levites into divisions to offer the burnt offerings and peace offerings, and to worship and give thanks and praise to the Lord at the gates of the temple. The king also made a personal contribution of animals for the daily morning and evening burnt offerings, as well as for the weekly Sabbath festivals and monthly new moon festivals, and for the other annual festivals as required in the law of the Lord. In addition, he required the people of Jerusalem to bring the prescribed portion of their income to the priests and Levites, so they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. The people responded immediately and generously with the first of their crops and grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. They brought a tithe of all they owned. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves brought in the tithes of their cattle and sheep and a tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them up in great heaps. The first of these tithes was brought in late spring, and the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw these huge piles, they thanked the Lord and his people Israel. Where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. And Azariah the high priest from the family of Zadok replied, Since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, for the Lord has blessed his people. Hezekiah decided to have storerooms prepared in the temple of the Lord, and this was done. Then all the gifts and tithes were faithfully brought to the temple. Conaniah the Levite was put in charge, assisted by his brother Shimei. The supervisors under them were Jehiel, Azaziah, Nahath, Asahel, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah. These appointments were made by King Hezekiah and Azariah, the chief official in the temple of God. Korah, son of Imna the Levite, who was the gatekeeper at the east gate, was put in charge of distributing the freewill offerings of God, the gifts, and the things that had been dedicated to the Lord. His faithful assistants were Eden, Miniamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah. They distributed the gifts among the families of priests in their towns, by their divisions, dividing the gifts fairly among young and old alike. They also distributed the gifts to all males three years old or older, regardless of their place in the genealogical records, who came daily to the Lord's temple to perform their official duties, by their divisions. And they distributed gifts to the priests who were listed in the genealogical records by families, and to the Levites twenty years old or older who were listed according to their jobs and their divisions. Food allotments were also given to all the families listed in the genealogical records, including the little babies, the wives, and the sons and daughters, for they had all been faithful in purifying themselves. As for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who were living in the open villages around the towns, men were appointed to distribute portions to every male among the priests and to all the Levites listed in the genealogical records. In this way, King Hezekiah handled the distribution throughout all Judah, doing what was pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. In all that he did in the service of the temple of God and in his efforts to follow the law and the commands, Hezekiah sought his God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was very successful. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 32 After Hezekiah had faithfully carried out his work, King Sennacherib of Assyria invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, giving orders for his army to break through their walls. When Hezekiah realized that Sennacherib also intended to attack Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military advisors, and they decided to stop the flow of the springs outside the city. They organized a huge work crew to stop the flow of the springs, cutting off the brook that ran through the fields. 
For they said, Why should the kings of Assyria come here and find plenty of water? Then Hezekiah further strengthened his defenses by repairing the wall wherever it was broken down and by adding to the fortifications and constructing a second wall outside the first. He also reinforced the Milo in the city of David and manufactured large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military officers over the people and asked them to assemble before him in the square at the city gate. Then Hezekiah encouraged them with this address, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid of the king of Assyria or his mighty army, for there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are just men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. These words greatly encouraged the people. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria, while still besieging the town of Lachish, sent officials to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah and all the people in the city. This is what King Sennacherib of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you think you can survive my siege of Jerusalem? Hezekiah has said the Lord our God will rescue us from the king of Assyria. Surely Hezekiah is misleading you, sentencing you to death by famine and thirst. Surely you must realize that Hezekiah is the very person who destroyed all the Lord's shrines and altars. He commanded Judah and Jerusalem to worship at only the one altar at the temple and to make sacrifices on it alone. Surely you must realize what I and the other kings of Assyria before me have done to all the people of the earth. Were any of the gods of those nations able to rescue their people from my power? Name just one time when any god anywhere was able to rescue his people from me. What makes you think your god can do any better? Don't let Hezekiah fool you. Don't let him deceive you like this. I say it again, no God of any nation has ever yet been able to rescue his people from me or my ancestors. How much less will your God rescue you from my power? And Sennacherib's officials further mocked the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah, heaping insult upon insult. This is the Bible lie with Soapy Dollar. The king also sent letters scorning the Lord, the God of Israel. He wrote, just as the gods of all the other nations failed to rescue their people from my power, so the God of Hezekiah will also fail. The Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in the Hebrew language to the people gathered on the walls of the city, trying to terrify them so it would be easier to capture the city. These officials talked about the God of Jerusalem as though he were one of the pagan gods made by human hands. Then King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to God in heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed the Assyrian army with all its commanders and officers. So Sennacherib returned home in disgrace to his own land. And when he entered the temple of his God, some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. That is how the Lord rescued Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from King Sennacherib of Assyria and from all the others who threatened them. So there was peace at last throughout the land. From then on, King Hezekiah became highly respected among the surrounding nations. And many gifts for the Lord arrived at Jerusalem, with valuable presents for King Hezekiah, too. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. He prayed to the Lord, who healed him and gave him a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah did not respond appropriately to the kindness shown him, and he became proud. So the Lord's anger came against him and against Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of his pride, and the people of Jerusalem humbled themselves. So the Lord's anger did not come against them during Hezekiah's lifetime. Hezekiah was very wealthy and held in high esteem. He had to build special treasury buildings for his silver, gold, precious stones, and spices. 
and for his shields and other valuable items. He also constructed many storehouses for his grain, new wine, and olive oil. And he made many stalls for his cattle and foals for his flocks of sheep and goats. He built many towns and acquired vast flocks and herds, for God had given him great wealth. He blocked up the upper spring of Gihon and brought the water down through a tunnel to the west side of the city of David. And so he succeeded in everything he did. However, when ambassadors arrived from Babylon to ask about the remarkable events that had taken place in the land, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and to see what was really in his heart. The rest of the events of Hezekiah's reign and his acts of devotion are recorded in the vision of the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, which is included in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. When Hezekiah died, he was buried in the upper area of the royal cemetery, and all Judah and Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then his son Manasseh became the next king. This is the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Second Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, imitating the detestable practices of the pagan nations whom the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the stars of heaven and worshipped them. He even built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said His name should be honored forever. He put these altars for the stars of heaven in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh even sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even took a carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple, the very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, My name will be honored here forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the other tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will obey my commands, all the instructions, laws, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I gave their ancestors. But Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations whom the Lord had destroyed when the Israelites entered the land. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. So the Lord sent the Assyrian armies, and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God, and cried out humbly to the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request for help. So the Lord let Manasseh return to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Manasseh had finally realized that the Lord alone is God. It was after this that Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, from west of the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley to the Fish Gate, and continuing around the hill of Ophel, where it was built very high. And he stationed military officers in all of the fortified cities of Judah. Manasseh also removed the foreign gods from the hills and the idol from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. However, the people still sacrificed at the pagan shrines, but only to the Lord their God. The rest of the events of Manasseh's reign, his prayer to God, 
And the words the seers spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. Manasseh's prayer, the account of the way God answered him, and an account of all his sins and unfaithfulness are recorded in the record of the seers. It includes a list of the locations where he built pagan shrines and set up Asherah poles and idols before he repented. When Manasseh died, he was buried at his palace. Then his son Ammon became the next king. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father Manasseh had done. He worshipped and sacrificed to all the idols his father had made. But unlike his father, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Instead, Ammon sinned even more. At last, Ammon's own officials plotted against him and assassinated him in his palace. But the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and they made his son Josiah the next king. End of reading, 2 Chronicles 31, 1 through 33, 25. Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? Let's talk about revival. This was one of the eight times in the scriptures that we read about a sweeping movement through the people of Israel. Now, admittedly, a small population by today's standards, but this was a general move of God over the entire nation during the time of Hezekiah. You can see clearly how God brings judgment on the people. There's a certain amount of desperation that arises from the people of God within the Israelite population. Uzziah was a good king in general. Uzziah had ruled for 50 years. Jotham, his son, ruled for 16 years, but they had a co-regency for a number of years as well. Jotham was a good king. Ahaz, Jotham's son, was a terrible king, ruling for 16 years. Then, on the tail end of this terrible, bad, wicked king, Ahaz, comes Hezekiah. So sometimes there's no rhyme or reason that we can see in terms of genetics or in child-rearing. Revival came about when there was a combination of godly, courageous leadership, and you had a good, godly, and responsive population. Sometimes you'd have great godly leadership, but the people wouldn't follow. The people chased after wealth. They wanted idolatry and false gods and immorality, and there was nothing to be done, even with a good and godly king and great prophets. Now, let me say this about the population. It was never 100%. If we're going to wait around for revival in America to where everyone agrees with us, there will never be revival. Revival will take place when a sufficient and significant number of Christians, those who are called by the name of Jesus the Messiah, I suspect there may be, in the total population of America, 300 million, there may be as few as 20 to 30 million genuine, sincere, devoted, committed Christian men and women and young people, at every level of maturity, by the way. Some are brand new, just born again just this past week. 
I've heard that there are 70 to 75 million people who attend church and synagogue every week. But you know as well as I do that that does not mean there are 70 to 75 million committed followers of Jesus the Christ. That's church attendance. That's what that is, religiosity. And we know good and well that many of those churches are apostate. They do not follow God. They do not honor God's word. They do not care to obey the principles of morality and ethics in the scriptures. So don't think we have to wait around until everybody agrees with. Now, one of the things that they did in the time of revival is that they themselves became unashamed in their worship of God. They became courageous. They didn't bow in cowardice to threats from other people. People made fun of them and put them down because they were, oh, stick in the muds. They were conservatives, and they weren't with the latest gods, the latest idols, the latest trends, the latest immoralities, and so on. They were serious about following God and serving God. These times of revival came when there was godly leadership, and there was a godly, responsive remnant, a strong remnant, praying remnant, and a believing remnant, believing in God's Word. Now, the Scriptures figured prominently in every one of these revivals, the public reading of the Scriptures. That's one of the motivations for the Bible Live radio program. In each of these, you see that it was a great emphasis on the teaching of the Word. The people needed to renew and restore their understanding of the Scriptures. Did you see that in chapter 31? Hezekiah sent people around the country teaching and reading the Scriptures to the people. And uh, that was an important point in preparation and in sustaining the revival, the public reading and emphasis on God's Word. So you have courageous leaders, courageous people. What do they do about those who did not follow God? Is the God of the Bible the true and living God? Is Jesus truly the Messiah? If he is, then we must follow that path. People are free to be wrong, but that truth about the true and living God and the Messiah and Jesus, that must guide our morality and our public policy. And we don't need to apologize for that at all. Other people are free to be wrong, but we don't have to be politically correct in terms of allowing wickedness in our morality and in our public policy. This is a magnificent passage of Scripture for those who would like to know and understand the times in which we live today and the dynamic of spiritual revival that we all long for. Can it happen? Hezekiah came to power just 15 years after Samaria fell to the Assyrians in the north in 722 B.C. He began to call upon the priests and the Levites, the preachers and the evangelists and the missionaries. He called upon the people in full-time ministry, get your lives right with God, get serious about your calling. And it was difficult. They resisted his call. But then enough came along, and then the call went out to the people. The call again was rejected. Many of them laughed at them and rejected, but there were enough who wanted revival that they began to clean up their own houses, their own lives, and then they began to influence society without apology. The Bible Live. See you next Sophie time. Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar.
start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word. 